Welcome to the Digital Leaders Podcast. This is episode number six and my name is Fabian Tausch. I'm a 22-year-old entrepreneur from Berlin and I'm focusing on building the ecosystem for young entrepreneurs. That's what I do with the Digital Leaders Podcast where I interview the digital leaders of today to educate the digital leaders of tomorrow. And besides that, what I do is the Young Entrepreneurs Program that I'm doing in Berlin where we search for the most talented young entrepreneurs aged between 17 and 23 years old. Today's episode, you might have heard it in the teaser from last episode, is with Ton van Noordende. It's always hard to pronounce his name. Ton is from the Netherlands. He is a deep tech investor at Zero One Ventures. And he's one of the most connected people in the European ecosystem that I know. And... What Ton does is, on the one hand side, he's an investor. On the other hand side, he's just getting to know people by organizing exceptional experiences. For example, when I came to Amsterdam the first time, he invited me to a to an investor's dinner around the next web at Amsterdam Tower in the nearly 20th floor. It was fabulous. The second time I was in Amsterdam, he invited me to a boat tour with blockchain people. The third time, he invited me to a private island around the event, Angel Island, which they shut down right now because they're doing something new. And it's just crazy. He's everywhere. You can't get around him. You definitely will meet him if you are digging deeper into the European ecosystem. He's one of the person or people that I see as... A hidden champ so i'm more than happy to present the interview to you and to invite ton van nordende yeah um welcome back to another interview and today i'm here with ton van nordende i hope it's right otherwise you'll see or listen to a recording right now that's uh, that's uh, working because he's saying it himself so ton is a ceo at one no zero one ventures board member at Amsterdam Capital Week and an investor in residence at Startup Delta and has also been involved in a number of other entrepreneur support programs such as Angel Island, Capital Fest, Startup Fest and many more. So, whew, um, ton, a lot of things to talk about and a lot of things that you're covering. But first, first of all, thanks a lot for um, having the time, giving the time for the interview and welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. So we talked about before uh, that we want to cover a bit more about digitalization, what uh, corporates can learn from startups and what startups are um, good for. So not scaling knowledge and a lot of topics that we talked in the last five minutes about. But um, the first question I want would love to ask you is how do you perceive digitalization? Well, well so digitalization is a, it's a pretty big topic for me as well. And I think what we've seen in the last couple of years is that the, the information enabling, so digitalization for me is also information enablement. That's actually meaning that there's a lot of, I would say, siloed um, uh, sectors within, for example, technology, but also outside of technology. So closed marketplaces or closed sectors where information is not uh, readily accessible or available. And what we're seeing right now is that um, this information is available. The only issue right now is that how do you trust the information that you see online? So the, one, my biggest theme on this or my response to that is, yes, there is more um, information enablement coming because of this. But on the other hand, how do you trust the content and based on what 
uh, can you actually uh, yeah, base the reputation of the content that they actually publish right now. You also said uh, in the beginning that some of the corporates do not have the same access to knowledge that we have in the startup scene. I put myself in there because I'm researching a lot in it. But um, what do you mean by that? If you say, hey, um, I they don't have the same access and also where to look for because if you say how can i as a um maybe some maybe as a listener uh, how can i really see which topics or which platforms i can trust <clears throat> well one of the things of course what we've seen in the last years because of companies like slack they've opened up a little bit more of the i would say the intra-organizational uh, perspective and angle so but of course let's say if you work at a big organization with more than 10,000 people you're going to spend at minimum 12 months to understand the organization and you will listen to people within the organization which is great because they have a lot of knowledge to share and spread but then of course there's also the outside perspective uh, on the on the flip side when you're active in a big organization you typically get access to startups as well right so startups pitch to you or trying to sell their concept so if you manage that correctly you will gain a meta perspective as actually as I do myself as an investor because how I see my work is actually I'm being enlightened by the companies and the founders that I meet with on a daily basis. So if I have, I would say, if I want to cover a particular topic within AI and then I do that and I talk to a thousand founders within a particular sector, you can actually, based on that, um, get a you know, pretty good perspective on what the market is going, where the market is heading. And that's something uh, especially that I realized when, you know, back in the day before actually I sold my company, I was also active in a big corporate organization. And I realized that is one of the big upsides and the big advantage that you have because people want to talk to you because potentially this US partner for resources or potentially the clients that you serve as the, as the corporate organization. So there's a lot of potential there, but you need to sort of like see that, uh, try to find a way out of the, I would say the system. Uh, so don't set your meetings you know, straight from, from nine to five, but try to keep open slots and make it more flexible, which is, uh, I think, the biggest challenge there. You talked about um, the internal knowledge because you have a lot of people in a huge corporate, um, but also giving others from the outside the opportunity to um, pull their knowledge in or give uh, yeah, insights in what they are doing and perspective about what they think about your company. How would you start to implement that? Because scaling knowledge in a huge company is hard because making it accessible means that everybody has to think about what do I know and how do I, uh, or how can I give value to all the other employees right. and also to cover it and to to put it, pull in the right people to give you perspective um, isn't that easy because we come back to the topic of trust. So how would you start to to handle that? Well, I mean, I can actually give you an example. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, and actually you were there as well, we organized during the next web side event where we hosted about 250 amazing people in tech, uh, basically a really nice curated list out of the 70,500 people that were there. <clears throat> so instantly you're already in, in this type of circle where you know you can trust the people that you're with. So that is one way to, to scale outside your organization and get access to different uh, people and different perspectives. Uh, the other thing that I, uh, I think I would like to mention on this is for example, when you're in a, um, uh, uh, the, the, one of the sponsors actually during the party, one of my partners is, uh, is called Cathay Pacific Airways, and they're uh, a big airline uh, based in Hong Kong, traveling over the world, and then now they're trying to get access to actually the startup scene. And what I also told them is like, you need to build trust yourself as well uh, with the companies, but also in order to build trust, you need to be there, you need to be active in the system, which means that you need to contribute, which actually comes back to one simple, plain and simple thing, which is pay it forward mentality, right? So pay it forward mentality is something that is actually now recognized by the World Economic Forum as the most important value for cities and ecosystem startups to actually be 
able to scale out of uh, and scale out and, and become big companies. And that is something that you can enable yourself in if you surround yourself with those uh, or, uh, with with these types of collaboration. So, to give an example, how I, how would how I would start from a corporate perspective is. Uh, you know, don't start with a venture fund or a corporate venture fund and put 300 million in there, but l- look at your organization, put some people in key positions and give them more of an inter- entrepreneurship uh, operational responsibility so they can actually partly skill out of the organization and then take some external people uh, that have built um, this type of, uh, how do you say, this type of uh, structures before and then start with a really simple, simple program. You know, start with a, uh, I would say, with a, with a pitch contest and try to uh, gather, I would say, 50 or 100 companies or startups that might be potentially interesting for your business that are related to your business pro- process right now. And then based on that, you can build an incubator. And if you have the incubator set up, you can go for an accelerator. If you have an accelerator set up, you can go for a venture fund, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to first align, of course, on what, the vis- what your vision is. Um, one of the things that I see a lot of corporate struggle with is the fact that you have a lot of internal knowledge. So if you actually then you know, meet a startup and a startup wants to do a proof of concept or actually wants to uh, do a corporation, then you need to make sure that the people that are doing business development are, are not shooting down the idea right away. Right? So you need to get top uh, level or I would say C-suite commitment as well from that. So there's a lot of, I would say, you know, uh, uh, moving parts, uh, but start small and then make it bigger from there. So for a lot of listeners, it might not be 100% clear how to, or what, what, um, allowance or enablements does a an entrepreneur need to be successful because being an entrepreneur also means I have to report in some way I have to check with the C level I have to check for budgets I have to check for everything but um, how can I be an entrepreneur and be successful inside of a company where I have uh, boundaries not or, or not I'm not allowed to do everything I want to because I think it's very very helpful for the listeners right now to understand okay what do I have to consider when I want to set up something like entrepreneurship? I mean, this. Uh, I'll give you an example of an organization that I think is doing this really properly, or actually two examples. So one is, for example, Amazon Web Services. So Amazon Web Services is currently hosting, uh, you know, I would say, what is it, 70 or 80% of the most successful companies that are actually doing something on a foundational level. So a lot of deep-time companies are also, you know, hosting servers at Amazon. And what Amazon actually does is they have, for example, country representatives that are, and in the Netherlands, this is a really great guy called Jose, and, um, and he is... Uh, actually empowered bottom-up. So he has um, the budget and the freedom to decide which key players, for example, in this case in the Netherlands, are most important to connect with. In his case, it's, for example, university uh, leadership. It is, for example, organizations like Startup Delta and Startup Amsterdam. Then he actually has the funds to support them in a way so they can start a collaboration with that. And based on that, after that, I would say after all that work, uh, the, the, uh, you will finally get something returned, basically access to different types of startups within this particular system or in the Netherlands in this case. So um, it's, it's, yeah, how do you start a grassroots movement, grassroots movement within a corporate is a really tough question to answer. But uh, in the end, it's, it's uh, up to management to, I would say, to try to let go a bit more uh, uh, people so that they can actually find a way to um, yeah, start something which has a little bit longer perspective than just a three-month or a six-month program. I think that's also key, right? You cannot start this in a month and then kill the project. You need to let it go and let it free. Other examples, for example, NVIDIA. 
NVIDIA has this mentality where they will support a city or a startup or a company regardless if they're actually already buying the products. What they basically want to do in the end, of course, sell more GPUs, but it's like a long-term play. So what they do, for example, in France, they have a really cool program where they, I think, already educated 200,000 entrepreneurs from corporates uh, on topics around artificial intelligence. It, it seems like a stretch, but in the end, of course, if the company starts buying more, if all those companies start buying more processors, that's actually their business model, right? So it's a completely different way to approach uh, the, the value add um, uh, that to the people that you reach out to. Okay, so if that makes sense. To sum it up, first of all, you have to be sure and to have to be clear about making an investment and not just, hey, I need the ROI in a second. So I need my return. Not right now. I can invest money. I have the time. I give the entrepreneur the time to do whatever he needs to do with a certain budget and he's free to spend however he wants to do it or he or she wants to do it. And um, on the other hand side, I might think a bit around corners because it's not always that I stick 100% to my business model. I might uh, need to do some slightly changes and empower people that they understand why they might need more of me as a gateway drug to um, perform better and to scale up. Exactly that. And then, you know, another key challenge here is that um, if you have a, a big organization, you obviously have brand, a big brand and brand guidelines as well. But within this A&H, what we're seeing right now is we're seeing a shift from, I would say, you know, uh, the former state sovereignty and the corporate sovereignty towards individual sovereignty. So human to human connections are now the most important thing that you actually have, even in this technical and uh, day and age, right? So. People need to connect to people on a human-to-human level, which actually means that those individuals that are uh, potentially not even high up in the organization become more and more uh, valuable. To give you one example, there's one company, uh, a gigantic company, uh, top 10 company worldwide, actually. And there's this one uh, female employee, and I think she's 26, and she's a community manager. And then so the C-suite probably has no idea that she exists, but when something impactful happens for the community, she is the person that reaches out to me and 50 other people in, in for example, in technology and empowers us to in, to make the situation happen, right? So it's, it's a pretty interesting shift towards, uh, I would say, singular leadership or having this pyramid structure towards actually the people um, uh, that are close to the, uh, uh, the, the networks that you want to, they become increasingly more important. So you need to empower them. And empowerment means giving them more freedom, uh, you know, have the vision, uh, but be able to switch within, right? So have this t- tight vision for, let's say, the you know, next three to five years, but make sure they can actually pivot within the process and it- iterate on that. I think that's just crucial. I think when some of the listeners um, hear you saying, yeah, you need to empower the people inside a company, if they are more in the leadership area and are more in the upper management, they might be a bit afraid of... Um, empowering the people because they are used to uh, the hierarchies they have in the company. What would you say to the person who's like, hey, I'm not sure if it's the right way to to empower the people because we, we've we done it all the time and uh, to, to stick to the hierarchies and I'm not sure if this is the right way. What would you answer? Uh, I mean, I'm not saying I'm, I'm opposed to any kind of structure or hierarchy. Uh, I mean, actually, particularly within uh, a space that I'm also pretty active in, the decentralization space, which also includes next to intelligent IoT and Edge, uh, for example, blockchain. And blockchain enables companies to or actually, you know, the, the 
the, the building blocks of these type of companies are completely decentralized. What you see in those organizations is there's, they have issues actually resolving uh, problems or issues or making decisions, because how do you make a decision in a completely 100% trustless, uh, decentralized environment? It's really tough, right? So uh, th there's a combination to be made. What I would say about empowering your own people, uh, what I see more and more, the people that we work with or the companies that we work with or the stars that we invest in, they are not in this for the money or making uh, revenue per se. Of course, they need to, they want to build a company and want to potentially create a unicorn or a zebra, but in the end, they're empowered by something else. They want to make a difference. So it's more and more about value-driven. Uh, um, uh, I mean, see, people are becoming more and more value-driven. So how do you get them to commit to your organization is to enable them to actually have that, uh, I would say, um, power and execution on that level. So it's not about offering them a, you know, a fatter check or a better check. It's about giving them a little bit more freedom. And freedom basically also means that, yeah, if you spend your time or your week uh, within, just within the company, and uh, I th don't think that's the right approach anymore. But uh, it's, 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 a, it's a thin line, and I understand that organizations have trouble uh, identifying the right angles to, to approach this. When you say you don't think it's the right approach anymore, um, I talked to Boris and uh, we had an interview <laughs> time uh, at the time it was like an hour before but um we and we talked about um, sending teams uh, to something like tq where we are sitting in right now and recording the interview just to give them more opportunity for serendipity and um, learn more about the other opinions that are out there and connect with other people is that something you mean with uh, or when you talk about not just staying in the company? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely one. So just to give you an example how far I take this, <clears throat> I when I take uh, phone calls, I will typically only take five to ten minutes and I will get right to the point. So if someone actually asks me for advice or help or uh, or for, uh, vice versa, what we do is, you know, start with the problem right away and because I think your intentions are already clear. I'm not... I'm, pretty sure we can figure out, you know, what you're actually building and what you're doing. What I want to know is, let's spend one minute on the problem, let's spend nine minutes on executing on that. So how can I help? What can I do? Is it introduction that you need? Is it a particular set of coaching or, you know, what, what not? So one is, you know, tuning down on the amount of time you spend interacting with people in meetings. So you know, don't do meetings actually at all, you know, walk outside and do a standing meeting in the office instead of you know, sitting down. So that's one way to sort of like, you know, increase, get more time for freedom. And the other way, of course, is get out of the building. Um, and the environment that, for example, TQ creates right here, but other co-working spaces in the Netherlands or in Europe, it's just an optimal way to, um, like you said, increase serendipity, meet people that have different perspectives, and that can actually open up your mindset and mentality in order to create something better for the organization that you're currently with. Uh, but you need to set yourself up in the right uh, setting, if you know what I mean. So I would even take it as this far, for example, when I travel to cities, and I kind of travel, uh, I would say, two, three uh, different cities every week within Europe particularly. I even take that to the extreme that I book my hotel, not near a venue that I'm potentially speaking, but I book the hotel in a place where I know it's a vibrant startup ecosystem where I have the opportunity to serendipitously meet up with people. So even when I walk in the streets in those different cities, there's a big chance that I'm going to meet people that could potentially impact uh, and help me as well as, a, as, as, a, as, a, as an investor. So that's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a different type of, um, uh, yeah, different approach. What you covered a bit was, and that's what I love about um, your, let's say, behavior when you meet new people like we did, um, 
you're opening up your network pretty fast and um, introducing people to uh, some other people or uh, helping people whatever, however you can or invite people like me. We, we've never seen us before. I was at the dinner that you that you mentioned. Um, and I think that's a huge problem that other people have, that they are like, mm, I don't know, can I really um, introduce him to others? Can I help him? Do I want to help him? How do you decide which persons to help and which not? Because I think you can't help everybody. But um, how do you decide if somebody's worth the time or not? That's, I mean, that's, that's a really, I mean, that's a really good question. So for me, like I said, for me, it's about two things. It's about energy and about the way we get introduced to each other, right? So if you meet each other in a trusted environment, let's say a dinner setting where the audience is already curated, it's going to be for me really easy to already go past that first step. Secondly, of course, when I introduce, uh, for example, a lot of startups ask me, can you, if you're not investing yourself, can you introduce me to another investor in your network? And I say, yes, I can. And I'll typically make a double up introduction, which also saves my network and saves the other one's network as well. That's one way for me to have a within a system. And of course, if I think that um, the introduction might not work, I will be really honest about it up front and I'll give the feedback right away. I think what I'm trying to do with the, for example, how we met as well, and like I said, this is a bit of, it's, it's getting a bit holistic here, but it's, um, it's the combination of um, um, me thinking that we, in this day and age, we have a pretty traditional way to build trust and reputation. And I think uh, we should try to let that go a little bit more. So trust more on gut feeling and energy, you know, next to just making decisions with your head as well. How do you think uh, can corporates um, implement this approach into the company? Because I think even inside of corporates and companies, it's hard to get to the right people and... Um, also get introduced if they know they can help or whatever because i think there are some boundaries inside and some uh, behavior like hey i i might help but i'm not sure and how can they learn and implement this approach i mean it's actually pretty similar as to starting a startup uh, right when a startup uh, is in the beginning and um, you know the, the founders have put in the last resources and all the money's in the company they're bootstrapping and they're, they're going from left to right and that's I think you should not necessarily bootstrap it like that but what you can do for example if you say well instead of having this one big project or let's say let's take you know one percent of our budget for this particular department and let's spend it on not one but let's say 50 different smaller opportunities and then the resources that are spread out to those 50 opportunities will give you like an increase in in the in 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 the opportunities itself right so for example um, one of the things that's keeping me busy as well is um, um, when you're in a uh, startup right now you're going to spend the next five to seven years building a company and the potential upside could be huge but the chance is actually 99.99% sure you're going to fail right so uh, it makes sense to have something on the side as well so what we're seeing right now is also within this new thing called the gig economy is that actually founders are next to being a founder they're also active in for example voluntary initiatives a really great example is a, is a good friend of mine here in the Netherlands he he became the director of startup grind which is an initiative by Google for entrepreneurs where basically there's going to be one person on stage and he's going to be interviewed for one two hours to empower the local ecosystem there uh, he is still the company founder and has a really uh, a busy job with that but because of his secondary role which is a voluntary role as a director of startup ground all of a sudden his network access increases and also his trust and reputation increases because he's connecting to that organization which actually makes his life a lot more easy and that is something you can apply really easily as well in a corporate so i would say google started this thing like 10 or 20 years ago with with the whole uh you know take one one day in a week take 
take free or take for your own projects. This is a more a little bit more sophisticated, so it takes a little bit more time and research. But I mean, let people do other activities as well on the side. So don't take them for 100% in your own organization. So what Google does is like 20% of your time you can allocate for whatever you want, right? Right, right. And I think it's they made it a little bit more strict. Now it's also, you have to allocate it to a project that potentially could support Google's mission, which is also okay. But I like like I said, it's really interesting to, to, to have more than a single role because that actually opens up your perspective and opens up network opportunities and possibilities as well. Cool insights. You, you said that the chances are 99.99% that you're, you're, you, you will fail as a startup. And I think for a lot of corporates to work with startups, sometimes because of risk and partnership, um, not that easy. But I think it's pretty interesting to get the, the perspective of you as an investor. What are you looking for in startups and when do you decide that you, it's the right startup to invest in? Right. So, I mean, so to break that down, so at the moment with, with Zero One Ventures, this is a deep tech fund. So we're focusing primarily on foundational issues uh, solved by uh, hard, well, hard engineering problems solved by Europe's best engineers. Right. So it's a particular space within emerging technologies uh, So to make that clear. But I think um, it is still the same process as for a regular startup company. For us, it starts absolutely with technology. It, the technology needs to be on point. But then in the end, in the beginning, actually, when we first meet with someone and we get introduced, actually, maybe to break it down a little bit more, and actually, sorry, it already starts with the introduction. So, for example, if a founder would reach out to me on a conference just out of the blank after, I, for example, I finish a stage talk or whatnot, um, uh, it, that gives a that that sort of like that is not the way I would typically do it. I would say, you know, make make sure you get a soft introduction via someone else and then make the introduction to me directly. So that sort of like already enables me to trust you because I trust that other person and then we build a different relationship from the beginning. The second thing that I try to do in the beginning is who is this person actually, right? So what drives him, what motivates him on an intrinsic level before I actually get to know what the company is about, right? So I'd like to have the, you know, the really short brief or blurb about the company. Yes, for sure. But then in the end, uh, we'll start doing a deep dive on the team. And then, so what are the key trigger points for me to invest in a company? Uh, the team has to be complete, so I would never uh, invest in a single founder company, although there's individuals that can be really good, but in this day and age, it's going to be extremely tough to build everything yourself. You cannot be the CTO, the CEO, and the CEO of an organization. So a complete team, and then next to that, there's particular characteristics that I really like and love. And one of those characteristics are the, the, the ability of a founder to uh, attract better people than himself around him in the team, right? That's one. The second one is, is the founder able to also give away. For example, if I, if I look at a company and then I see a cap table, so the, the way the equity is divided within the company, I see 99.5% is for one CEO, the founder, and the rest, 0.5% is for the rest of the team. That also gives me this feeling that he might not be able to understand that it's actually uh, it's better to have 10% of a $10 billion company than 10% of a 100 uh, or a million dollar company, right? So that is, that is a couple of things. And then I would say on a characteristic side, it's about um, resilience, execution power, um, and, and not so much about the ADN itself. Because uh, just to give you an example, I think within the Zero One team, right now we're at five partners, we might see about 10,000 or 15,000 pitches come by every year. And then we select in the end, over the coming four years, we're going to select 20 companies to invest somewhere between one and five million into, right? So it is not about the pitch anymore. It's, it becomes about something else because we're going to see the idea that an entrepreneur is presenting not in one city, but we're going to see it in 20 cities at the same time. And then the question is, what's the ability of the founder to scale out of the system? And it's not about funding. It's about, like I said, attracting better people and execution power and resilience and, and being able to cope with failure because even within really good funded startups, and I think that's maybe an interesting insight to give as well, 
everyone's still looking for this runway because the business model is not complete, which actually means that even if you just got funded by, for example, us, the company still would only have 18 months of runway to actually execute and create milestones and based on those milestones get access to the next investment and to the next part. So it's always a constant struggle. So it's about, you know, rapid innovation. It's about, like I said, execution is key. How far or how highly is um, the connection between you and the person you talk to involved in your investments? Because you, you mentioned earlier when we talked about personal empowerment, it's about human connections are the key. And um, I think that's what, when I listen to you, also the key for um, the people or the, the startups you're looking for. And um, you said it's the team. But I think it's also the connection that you are making with uh, the people and how do you understand with them? Absolutely. So, I mean, two things that I need to add on this. So one is, of course, if we don't understand technology or we think we don't have relevant access to the networks that the founder might need in the future, we're not going to invest. And the other thing, but that's more on a personal consideration, because I've, I've had investors myself when I had a startup uh, company, of course. And now, of course, within Zero One Ventures, we have limited partners that committed capital for us to be able to invest into companies. For me, it's extremely important to be able to know that I'm going to work with this founder for the next coming, let's say, five to ten years. So we need to have a good personal connection. Um, some people might disagree with me on that, but for me, that's a really important, important rule. It's like a marriage, right? And we're going to have ups and downs. And if you don't really connect or resonate on the personal level, it's going to be really tough to, to you know, break through the cycle and actually help the company scale. Where would you start as a corporate to um, get more into exchange with um, other startups? Or what, what means other, with startups at all? Yeah, I mean, so it's the cheapest way to innovate in any way, right? So uh, let's say, let's pick, Pick this example. Let's say you're a corporate and you do this innovation contest or you startup contest, or and you give us away a small prize, and then you make sure that you have a good deal flow selection on that. So let's say you have 500 companies subscribing. Out of that, you have a, a committee or a, a group of judges, mixed from the corporate itself, a mix of people from the industry like myself. You select the 50 best companies. Those companies go through a cycle of you know a couple of weeks of training, internal sessions, and then in the end you select four or five. You already made a distinction and already have a pretty big base of within the topic that you're trying to research and then you already have access to people that are potentially doing something that you want to use in the future and you get the best companies already and you can use those ideas within your organization. I mean, it becomes a little bit more tricky when, for example, if you do this and then use the ideas of the companies that pitch to you and then use it in your own organization. So, yeah, you need to be really strict with that. So you need to have a really good Chinese wall within the organization that you, you support the organization that give you access to that knowledge but it's a really easy way to uh, to benchmark uh, you know where the market is going in a really fast way as well where do you see the most um, opportunity or the next upcoming markets or where are you focusing on uh, the most from the funds perspective you mean Or, I mean, so with Zero One, so to break it down, it's, it's emerging technology that we're investing in. Uh, we believe that uh, Europe is the next play field, playing field for the next wave of technology. Basically, everything, so our, fo theme, our, our fund is theme-focused, uh, uh, and the five themes that we focus on are uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. It is decentralization, so meaning intelligent IoT and edge computing. It's robotics, it's AR, VR, and uh, HCI, so human-computer interface like neural lace. Uh, I should not forget energy storage and quantum so this it's a pretty big load of of, uh, of of themes within i would say the last 12 to 24 months the most uh, 
companies or startups that we meet are within uh, the, particularly the decentralization space and the AI space. And then within the AI, in particular, visual AI and uh, visual augmentation and also video AI. But um, what we kind of see is that there's going to be a convergence in those technologies. And what we are trying to aim for is that we have access to the companies that will make that happen. So it's um, uh, there's a lot of uh, buzzwords right now around this these type of topics, but it's definitely something that uh, yeah, we're going to see happening, not, not in the next 10 to 20 years, but in the next three to five years. Where would you start to research about the topics you mentioned right now? Yeah, good question. I mean, so, like I said, first make sure you get access to the, for, well, I mean, a conference could be a good starting point. There are some interesting uh, conferences that are focused solely on, on deep tech. There's a, a couple of really good publications, for example, from uh, Atomico, which is called the State of European Tech and VC. That's a really great one. There's a, there's a research paper I would definitely recommend from Hello Tomorrow. It's a, a non-profit organization. They do a deep tech conference every two years. They publish an extensive report. There's, of course, Startup Genome, which is a little bit more bio and it's also about breaking down which city is successful and why they are successful. So those are a couple of research papers I would start with. And for example, one of the easiest ways to do is if you follow, for example, within MySpace, the, the, the leading VCs or the top tier investors, they publish a lot of um, um, items on, for example, Medium. So you follow them individually on Twitter or Medium, and then basically you follow their blogs, and that gets a really good insight into where the market is heading. So it's definitely a starting point. Could you just name, to make it easier, two conferences where you would love to go, uh, where would you go to... Um Uh, when you when you had to research well, I mean, so or want to research yeah so um yeah it depends uh, it depends on your purpose i okay there are five huge themes and then putting out two, two of the conferences hard um if you could give one of your personal values to all the people that are listening right now which while you would uh, more people need to or should more people implement you mean a personal value yeah <clears throat> that's, a, that's a tough question. There's not one single one, but I would say you know, openness, um, that, that is just you know, one, one, a great starting point. The, the fact that you're not instantly uh, judging people on where they're from, but where they potentially can go to, uh, towards, but uh, why they are who they are and what they're doing. To give you an example of that, also based around the whole trust and relationship thing, there's a lot of um, uh, uh, people that, for example, say you work at a corporate organization and you have a fantastic salary. You quit your job, uh, you, you, you go to run a startup, uh, you have trouble getting funded, so you're bootstrapping the organization. All of a sudden, you're not able to get a, a mortgage anymore or a credit card. I think that's a really skewed notion. The person that is now building this company is not a lesser person. So you need to be more open to that type of approach, right? So how do you... Uh, a different way to potentially not judge people and, and, and look at their accomplishments also from the past as well. So also for new and upcoming people just to be to be um, aware of you started there on your own and you had to climb up so it's completely normal that not everybody is on your level but you judge them more on their uh, from their perspective than from your own right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not really a good way to describe a value, but I mean, yeah, but open is a thing that's keeping me busy quite a, quite, quite a lot, actually. And then, uh, yeah, next to that, of course, it's, it's, the, it's the mentality of giving first. And then, you know, in the end, uh, I would say just, you know, giving first. That's important. Awesome. I think that's a good point to uh, let everybody think about how you can implement it, uh, openness, but also everything we talked about when it comes to entrepreneurship and 
um, researching on emerging markets, conversations with uh, startups and more in your company or in your life, however you want to, to put it in and really think about it. And I will put down everything we talked about in the show notes, like the articles, the research, your LinkedIn profile and uh, whatever. So um, I'm really, really thankful for your time. It was an amazing interview. And um, I think we will we will hear again from you as you're running a lot of lot of stuff uh, around this topic and um, events and we will we will uh, cover something of that again so thanks a lot for stopping by and for your time and for all the insights uh, it was a pleasure to do so i know we haven't covered too many startup topics but i think the learnings that ton had were pretty interesting in a context that is a bit different from everything else because he has so many different things going on that he's great in answering the questions we had and focusing on a lot of things what we can learn from each other so i will bring him on in a few weeks or months again for sure so then we will talk a bit more about his founding founding story about all the investments and the focus that he has it's so cool and uh, i just met ton because i was at an event in berlin and i met one of his partners Constantine van Oranje Nassau, another Dutch name, always hard to pronounce him. In this case, it was pretty simple. Constantine is the prince of the Netherlands. Yes, you heard right. He is the freaking prince of the Netherlands. And I recorded an interview with him at the next web last year, 2018. And he was my entry ticket to the next web. So I met a lot of the people that you will hear in the podcast just because of the next web and I'm so thankful that they did let me in because I used and played the Prince of the Netherlands card so it was a bit shady from my side but I'm very happy that I have the interview. Constantine is focusing with Startup Delta on the Amsterdam and Netherlands or Dutch startup ecosystem which is very interesting because he's working with Ton quite closely that's why I put them together or at least um, Constantine follows Tom so here's a sneak preview yeah a sneak preview for the next episode with Constantine van Oranje Nassau the prince of the Netherlands and you will have a lot of fun so here's your short preview saw a tech TED talk a few weeks ago where somebody who was involved in a lot of startups um, analyzed what worked and what didn't and he was saying or what he was saying basically was like the most important thing is timing um, yeah so, but you don't control that yeah so but is, is it possible to kind of look at it and see like mm, it might be the right time or it might not or no, I, 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 don't, I don't think so I mean you if you if you have a brilliant idea and a good technology and you're building your business and the timing is not right i mean the people that did payment payments uh online payments in the 90s you know they were they were good business models i was in business school in in 2000 and we all of the businesses that were developed then are now multi-billion dollar businesses we had some company that called cargo finder we had uh just a whole whole suite of these companies but the market was not ready yet there were not enough people online uh, the corporates were just not digitized enough. So uh, these were brilliant ideas, but 
what do you tell these people? Grenadier, wait another 10 years? Or no, they, of course, you go and you do and you try to get funding and then, you know, you run out of funding and then the idea uh, gets, gets buried and, and is then reinvented maybe twice, three times before it becomes really big. You know, you had before Spotify came, you had, had Napster, you had others, Kazaa, uh, you know, they didn't, uh, they didn't pull through. Um, but they, they did prepare the way for, for Spotify. Um, and so you have, uh, I, I, I think timing is one of those factors you just do not control. And uh, you, as an investor you could, I mean investor you can see these companies and you think, well this is just too early, the market is not developing yet. You know, for an investor it's a really important factor, but for a startup, I mean, you know, this is your time. And then you know, if you fail this moment, you might reinvent yourself and do it again. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so much looking forward to publish the episode with Constantine. It was a pleasure to talk to him. It was quite interesting. It was... I will, I will explain it in the next episode more. But it was such a hassle to get this interview. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. So, I hope you had a great time with uh, Digital Leaders. Thanks again for, for listening till the end. And make sure to share it with friends or colleagues that need to listen um, to, to the podcast. Make sure to share it on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and you can definitely uh, hit me up or link me so that I can I can repost it or I can I can answer your questions if you have some. You will find my handles down below. Instagram is fabian.tausch, T-A-U-S-C-H. On Twitter, it's, I think, my last name and then my first name, so I'll link it down below again. Yeah, make sure to follow me on LinkedIn. I'm quite active there and... I will I will leave you for now and I'll see you in the next episode with the Dutch prince. <laughs>